On this episode of We're No Damn Experts, Rebecca and Madi are joined by Norma Ashby-Smith, a local legend in Great Falls and Montana. She shares how Western Art Week started and how Great Falls becomes the Western Art Week capital of the world each year. Best damn podcast, the best damn town. You want to get up, get ready to get down. Welcome to the greatest damn town in Montana, Great Falls. I'm Rebecca Ingham. I'm Maricela Hazard. And we're no damn experts. Today on the podcast, I have the distinct pleasure of telling you we have a celebrity in our midst who has interviewed other celebrities, such as Clint Eastwood, whose son is super cute as well, John F. Kennedy, This person has hung out with motorcycle daredevil, Evil Knievel. This man is of American fame, but is a Montanan at heart. And this guest never gives me a straight answer when I ask where in Great Falls she wants the statue of her erected. (laughs) Great Falls champion and member of the Montana Broadcasters Hall of Fame, Norma Ashby-Smith. Welcome to the show, Norma. Wow. Rebecca, you read that just as I wrote it. <laughs> now, if anybody wants to learn anything more about Norma Ashby-Smith, please just Google her, and you'll find her on the internet, and you can learn way more than I gave you in the intro. And she has a book, too, so <laughs> you can read the book about Norma. <laughs> the internet's not giving you what you need. Because, I mean, if you go on the internet, it says that Norma's interviewed, yes, Johnny Cash, Clint Eastwood, and then someone kissed you? Yes. Oh, my, a dream boat that was. I, <laughs> I, I didn't let anybody wash my face for a week <laughs> after that happened. It was Robert Goulet, oh. who played Lancelot in My Fair Lady on Broadway opposite Julie Andrews. And I caught up with him down at the Copacabana in L.A. at a convention, and I interviewed him nose to nose. I took my tape recorder, and at the end, he kissed me on the cheek. Oh, Norma. And so whenever my husband gave me a bad time, i just play my kiss back yeah. to him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Well, we, you know, our listeners probably have a little idea of who you are, but not as in-depth as what you could share. Now, I don't want you to recite your book, but how long have you been in the Great Falls area making a difference and creating amazing things for people to enjoy? Well, actually, I came to Great Falls in 1961. So just think of that. Just If you're good in math, you can add up how many years. (laughs) And I've been here so long that when somebody in the old days of the Tribune, when they had a huge staff that they could cover everybody's deaths in depth, they would call me and ask me for a quote on the person who just died. <laughs> and because they felt I knew everybody in town, which I did at the time. And unfortunately, I got myself in lots of trouble doing that. So I, 
after I got over the shock of being the first to know they died, I'd say, give me a few minutes and I will collect my thoughts and then I'll get back to you instead of saying something real spontaneous about the person because I'd get in real trouble with the family if I did that. Oh. So, but yeah, 1961, I've been here and I thought, well, here I am, God's gift to Great Falls. I'll go right to the Great Falls Tribune because I had a journalism background. I'd worked in journalism in New York and in, in my hometown of Helena. And I went right to the Tribune. They said, sorry, we don't have a job. And then I went to a radio station. They didn't have a job. So I ended up as a clerk at the farm supply store here in Great Falls, Graham and Ross. And I was selling bird seed and manure and all these fancy things for farmers and ranchers. And one day I was discovered at Graham and Ross. A, a reporter, not a reporter, but a salesman from KRTV walked in to sell some advertising to Graham and Ross. And the, the owner, Rod Spencer at the time, said, you should meet my employee, Norma Ashby. Norma Beatty was my maiden name at the time. And I was introduced and they said, you know, we're looking for a hostess for, for a new TV show we want to start. Why don't you apply? And I'd never thought of television ever. So I thought, well, I might as well look into it because I really don't want to be a clerk in a farm supply store for the rest of my life, although I enjoyed it very much. But I went up and applied. It was at KRTV and talked to the owner of the station, Dan Snyder. And he said, well, what experience have you had in television? I said, none. And he said, they said, well, why do you think you can do this? And I said, well, I've been asking questions since I could talk. Instead of mama and daddy, I'd say, who's that and what's that? Okay. So he must have liked what I said because I was hired on a Wednesday. The following Monday, I was on the air with a daily TV show called Today in Montana. Oh, my gosh. And he was the host. My boss was my host with me and gave me no training, nothing. And so just before we went on the air for the first time, he, I turned to him and I said, Dan, can't you give me some tips or what I should or shouldn't do? And he said, yes, just two things to do to remember and you'll be a big hit on TV. And I said, oh, good, what are they? Number one, don't swear and don't pick your nose on the air. <laughs> Off air, though. Uh, and that's the game. only advice I got. Huh. And, went, and we went on. And the best thing that happened to me for this long career that I subsequently had was that I had the best criticism the first week I was on the air and the criticism was the only reason I watch your show is because my radio was broken that was one criticism and the other one was can't stand your laugh and what's more you make Dan laugh the way you do well I was just squelched and I thought oh no so I didn't laugh and then here I get these viewers that said why aren't you laughing? Are you sick? <laughs> so I learned the big lesson that the best censor anybody has in television, it's still the tr same today. If you don't like what you're looking at, your best censor is at the end of your arm, and you can turn it off. There you go. And so we went forward, and, and we were on the air for 26 years in Great Falls. Wow. Well, Rebecca and I should have taken that cue, because when we first started this <laughs> podcast... <laughs> We're, we're amazing. We're geniuses. Yeah. And then we listen back to ourselves, and I think to myself, I hate the way I talk. I make this weird noise. I've stopped making the weird noise. If I haven't, email us at podcast at visitgreatfalls.org. You know, we critique yourself so sure. much. Yeah. 
And if I should have just said, if they don't like the way I talk, they don't have to listen. Change the channel. But the neat thing about podcasts, you girls don't have to worry about your hair. No. You don't have to worry about your makeup. You don't have to worry about your expression. And boy, when you're a woman on TV, the, the poor old audience really tears you apart. Why did you wear your hair that way? And clothes, that's a big yeah. issue. If you wear any kind of stripes or, or um, polka dots or anything, it doesn't look good on the air. So with podcasts like you're doing, you don't have to fret. All you have to be is sharp and to the point and fun. Yeah, well, Rebecca said countlessly that <laughs> I don't have a face for TV and I don't have a voice for radio either. Oh. Yet here I am. So, <laughs> well, I have a great face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> we we've often joked with the listeners of our podcast that eventually we're going to become so famous we'll be out on tour signing autographs, having sold out stadium shows for our podcast. But until then, they're welcome to walk into the base camp at 101st Avenue North, ask us any questions they want. We'll be the ones that answer them. And we've been begging for engagement for them to email us or (laughs) download and subscribe and rate and review. And please, people, just do that. That's we've begged you enough. We're getting one pe- one person emailed me last week, and you can guess who that is. Rebecca's mom. So <laughs> Cindy wants us to have a guitar in studio, so that if someone does forget their guitar, cough cough, Joe Corda, we have one on hand for him to just use. So the the only person that's emailing emailing me right now is my boss's mom. Yeah. So, <laughs> so mom, I love it, but. Maybe just email me and I'll share it with Maddie. (laughs) (laughs) So, Norma, we could talk about all the times you got kissed in L.A. or interviewing Johnny Cash, amongst all these other celebrities that I'm having a hard time remembering. Or you can tell us a little bit about this famous event that happens once a year in Great Falls, Montana, Western Art Week, which I think you had a hand in. Well, I did. It's (laughs) one of the great, great experiences of my life, and I loved it with all my heart. And started in way back in 1969 with the very first Russell Art Auction. And the reason that got started was the the Ad Club, which was the sponsor, had had previously a very successful fundraiser. They had a Cadillac dinner as their fundraiser where they gave away a real Cadillac. But it was declared a lottery by a new attorney general, Mm. and he would not let us continue it. So we lost our fundraiser. So we had to come up with a new one. So I had attended my very first auction in Geraldine, Montana. It was an estate sale of Abby Welsh's estate. And a wonderful auctioneer, an old-timer from the area, any of your old-timers would know the name, Barney Sparrow. And he sold in the gymnasium in Geraldine all of Dear Abby Welsh's treasures, her oriental rugs, and especially her beautiful cut glass. And I even bought a piece of her cut glass. It was a little candy dish for $7.50. And I still have it, and I still use it. Anyway, it was so much fun. It was my first experience at an auction, and I thought, this has all the elements of excitement. It was fun. It was prosperous. Everybody was having a good time, and why not have an auction in Great Falls? And then I thought, well, what kind of an auction? And I thought, well, who's our most famous person in Great Falls? Well, obviously, it's Charlie Russell, and we have a great institution in Great Falls that it could benefit not only the museum, but the ad club, and that's the Sam Russell Museum. At the time, it was called the Sam Russell Gallery. So I, I very confidently brought the idea of an auction to the ad club's board of directors, and it almost didn't happen. Oh, 
because they said, who wants to honor a dead artist? And I thought, oh, no, this has got to work. And so if you're confident enough in an idea, the whole lesson here is persevere with the idea. So I got a hold of the president of Ad Club at the time, Bill Sampson, and another good friend of mine who worked for the Great Falls Gas Company, Tom Johnson, and I said, okay, guys, we've got to figure out a way to sell this to the board of directors. So we brainstormed and brainstormed, and we finally said, not only will we honor the most famous citizen of Great Falls, but we'll also use it as a platform to new and upcoming artists. Mm. And that that. sold the idea. They said, well, we'll try it one year, and if it takes off, we'll do it. So, boy, we didn't have a lot of time. I think we started in, like, December of 1968, and by March 6, 1969, the first Russell auction was held. And we were very blessed because I had known a man by the name of Fred Renner. I met him when I lived in New York. And he was the foremost collector and knowledge person about Charlie Russell. And he was from here originally. And so he gave us his master list of people that love Russell and collected Russells. So they were our primary core of people that came. They provided art, and they also were buyers. And so, and he wrote the forward to our first catalog. And the first catalog was eight pages. We had 76 pieces of art. And it was held in the Rainbow Hotel. Oh. And it was held there for the first number of years before the Heritage Inn was built. And then it moved to the Heritage Inn and was there all through the years afterwards. So we needed a couple of important things to make the first auction go. One was a good auctioneer. Well, my late husband, Shirley Ashby, was a, an ag loan officer at First Interstate Bank. I guess it was Montana Bank at the time. And he said, take a listen to Jack Rady. He does all the farm auctions. He never sold a piece of art in his life, but he <laughs> sold a lot of cattle. And so we it's had... practically the same thing, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so we had lunch with him, and we were at the, the old coffee shop in the Rainbow Hotel, and uh, Tom Johnson and Bill Sampson were with me, and he sold the um, sugar bowl in the middle of the table with his wonderful chant. And he was a cowboy at heart. He had a cowboy hat on. He looked like a cowboy. <laughs> and he had this great chant, and we hired him on the spot. So that was awesome. And then we talked to Dr. Van Kirk Nelson up in Kalispell, who had done auctions in his part of the state in art. And he said, well, you got to have a clerk who keeps track, and you got to have spotters who spot the, the buyers in your audience. So Armed with all those good tips, we got off the ground, and Van Kirk Nelson did provide some good art for us, and all these important Russell collectors were there, including Fred Renner. And Fred Renner provided 21 pieces of art for the Montana Bank having an exhibit of his collection during Western that Western period. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, it got off the ground. We had people from all over Montana, from other states, And we found we had a winner. You talked all about the logistics, and my mind goes immediately to, how do you make sure the art goes for what it's supposed to? Well, at the first auction, I mean, we we didn't really know what we were doing. We were just tickled to get anything for the pieces. And a lot of them, you know, didn't, they weren't real big pieces. And they, I mean, I have a little catalog here. It's eight pages. And some of our best Russell bronzes went for, like $850, $2,000, and, you know, more 
more manageable and down the road some went for other pieces went for eighty dollars and so that things that people could afford okay and, and then the word got out that this was a, a serious event and the beautiful part about being in great falls and being the adopted hometown of charles russell is that no other auction in the united states or in the world could use the name so we built a lot on the name of Charles Russell, and that helped us, and it still does to this day, because it's still going strong. I mean, the Ad Club did it for over 40 years and raised yeah. over $5 million over oh those years for the museum. But then the museum itself took it over, and they took it to a whole new level and were successful in getting you know, major works that were worth over a million or two million. And the in the early days, I can remember the biggest piece we sold for any kind of money was $50,000. And it was purchased by a rancher over in eastern Montana. Doc Balsam was his name. And I went up to him, I said, what are you going to do with that? I couldn't imagine anybody in, in the early era, you know, buying art for that much money. And he said, I'm going to hang it on my living room wall and enjoy it. There you go. <laughs> That's the best answer you can come up with. Yeah, right. So another intriguing thing to me, and maybe our listeners, the Rainbow Hotel still exists in Great Falls today, but mm -hmm. it's no longer a hotel. Mm -hmm. So back in the day, was it still a a hotel oh, when yeah. you were meeting. Absolutely. And a lot of, we didn't have, quote, exhibitor rooms as such. There was a lot of art being bought and sold in the rooms. And a lot of the people here in town were living, you know, or staying in the rooms as guests. So it definitely was a hotel. So today, vastly different than it was when you started it, mm -hmm. obviously. And the pieces in the catalog that you're sharing with us were... Donated, I assume. No, they're consigned. Okay. Most of them are consigned. And, and so they did a, they get a piece of the sale, unless okay. some are just flat out donated. Yeah. When did you start seeing more shows happen yeah. in conjunction well, it's, with the Russell? There's nothing like, it's a real, um, what's the word? Um, cons you know, it's very much appreciated to be imitated. Mm -hmm. And boy, when other factors in town saw how successful this was, they decided they'd have their own show. At one time, there were over a dozen shows, and every facility in town was full of art. It became the Western art capital of the world in March. And we picked March because... That was the birthday of Charlie Russell. March 19th was the date of his birthday. And, of course, he later died on, died on March 26th. So, But it had every kind of meaning for us. There's also, we've sat and chatted about Western Art Week a hundred times before, but most recently you were sharing with me there is the addition of the essay contest as yes. part of the Russell. So it's not just the auction that no. the Russell has. It is... Uh, education symposiums it's this essay so tell us a little bit about how the essay contest yeah. happened what it is what it does yeah. that's one of my loves way back the second year of the russell auction in 1970 i had a krtv a, a fellow employee by the name of sherry beaver and her daughter tracy was in the class at riverview school of viola olson and she taught the kids about charlie russell and montana history 
And this student of Viola just kept bragging about this wonderful teacher. And I was fortunate through Tracy to meet her. And I said, what would you think of having a Russell essay contest in your classroom and with your fifth graders? She said, I'd love to do that. And so she launched it. And it was very successful. And out of that came all the schools in Great Falls in, in the county competing at that level. And today there are close to 50,000 fifth graders that have written those essays. Oh, and, wow. And last year, well, a couple years ago, it was the, the 50th. And so since I had been involved with it since it began, I said, let's do something really wonderful for the 50th. So we were able, we had a tie. First for the first year, and Paula Egan Wright, who was the daughter of an Ad Club member, Jay Egan, she was a teacher in Turkey, teaching English in the French embassy there. Oh. And the other first winner was Bart DeZivi, who had his own law firm in San Francisco. So we were successful in getting the two of them to come for that essay ceremony. Holy moly. And if you don't think that wasn't a thrill for those little kids to see these two adults and how they had taken that honor and and run with it and were so excited and so thrilled to be at that ceremony for them. And Paula went even to two fifth-grade classes at Riverview School and taught the kids about Charlie Russell. So that was thrilling. And she'd even written a song when she was like 14 about Russell and sang it to the kids. So it was just unbelievable how that worked out. Really wish we had that guitar right now, Cindy Clark. If you want to mail it to us, we could have given the guitar over to Norma and she could have done her own rendition of it. Right. Of the song. So, you know, and I keep in touch with, with Paula. She's now back in the United States teaching in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And she's a brilliant young kid and woman. And so anyway, it's it's still going. This year it's virtual because of COVID. It can't, they can't have an official ceremony, but they're going to be doing a lot streaming it, I guess. But my, I'll just say one more thing. I've, I have the privilege of looking at a lot of those essays about I like Charlie Russell because, and my very favorite one was written by a little kid out of Cascade. And he said, I like Charlie Russell because I know talent when I see it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this kid, I love him. <laughs> and, and when he spoke, when Governor uh, Roscoe was at the Chuck Wagon Brunch luncheons during the early days of the Russell auction, the kids had to get up and read the winning essays. And, and, and even the governor said, boy, I'm going to hire him as my speech writer. He's really good. <laughs> I love it. When I went to the Russell in 2020, before Western Art Week 2020 was postponed, the tour guide, he showed me all of the essays that were hanging yeah, up. Right. So are they usually on display for about a year? Yeah, they okay. are. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can yeah. see them because right. I was like, really? I didn't know this was part of oh, it. Yeah. But then it's... you go up and read them, and right. kids are so sweet. They are. And, of course, the Russell Museum has added what they call a runway show now. Yeah. And that's something else that's very special. And they bring in these uh, designers, and they come out with their clothes, and they model them. And they've had this at... Um, the country club and that's for men and women and they buy them and they're very beautiful and very exciting and then the quick draw is another feature that's been very successful through the years and a lot of people have imitated that 
And the quick draw auction is very, very important too. And they donate all the the money that they get for each piece to the museum for that. So what is a quick draw auction? Well, it's in different forms. Um, The one that we had at the Ad Club was only 30 minutes. Okay. That's why it's called a quick draw. And very quick. And you have to get it done. And they'd often use famous people to be their models. Oh. And one year they used Charlie Pride. Oh. And a number of us, I still have his model that I bought. And I think there were like, oh, man, there was a lot of us that bought one. Over 100 of us paid like $450 for one the, the sculpture of his head. And plus, you know, it's that many. So they brought in a lot of money. All of that money went to the Russell Museum. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So today they also call it a quick finish uh-huh. because they, it's not a start. Right. And uh, they, you don't begin with a No, they have more time. They have all morning yeah. most of the time. And you can go around and watch them work, which is really fun. Yeah. Which I think is one of the most unique experiences. Yeah. And as you were talking mm-hmm. about kind of the variety of artwork, it's mm-hmm. not just oil and canvas. It is uh, bronzes. It's watercolors. It's pencil. Yeah, and so and there's of course there's sculpture, and at one time these events, these these shows were in every possible facility in town, you know. Of course the Holiday Inn and um, along the river, there's several places there. Yeah, uh, and the old Ponderosa used to have one, and so I don't know. This year, I guess there's going to be still some. I'm happy yep. about that. I think the Russell is going to have one day, I think a silent auction one day. So we've got almost a full year, or we call it double duty, for Mm -hmm. 2021 Mm -hmm. since we got hosed in 2020 with Uh Western Art Week. Uh So there will be shows and auctions in March Uh for Western Art Week, Mm -hmm. and then there is going to be a special edition Western Art Week in August. And the Russell or the CM Russell Museum actually has things happening in both. Mm-hmm. They're doing a educational symposium in March, and then they are going to do the actual Russell auction, the, the namesake of what we're here talking about mm-hmm. today, in August. Right, so, and it's going to be at their own campus. Yeah, since they were able to acquire the the closure of the street which is just north of the museum, which Mm -hmm. is really exciting. So right now for the March events for Western Art Week, we have the Educational Symposium from the CM Russell Museum. We have Kira Fetcher, or Fetcho. Fetcho. She is going to have an art show at the Dark Horse Wine Snug, which is at the same building of the Celtic Cowboy Hotel Arbonne. And then we're going to have Montana Miniatures, Montana Masters, March in Montana, and then there is a third one from that's going to be in the same area for Montana Miniatures and Montana Masters. I think Montana Heritage Artists is the official name. So that's what we have right now for March. Not, you know, a dozen plus, which we're normally used to, but in August, that's when we have the laundry list of everyone that's going to come out. And it, we're going to have outdoor events, too. Mm-hmm. I am excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you should be. I've had some anticipation sure. build up and reading all about it and then obviously hearing it about it from you yeah, right. i want it to happen already so i can enjoy these quick draws quick oh, finishes the yeah. runway show live music the dancing everything like yeah. it's going to be pretty busy yeah we always had a chief earl old person in the blackfeet dancers come down from browning too mm. and dance during uh, the russell auction and that was always thrilling they have a, a great big circle dance where people from the audience can come out and dance with them oh that's so cool yeah 
So for our listeners, you don't have to be taking notes or trying to write down while you drive because we know podcast listeners are usually doing it on their commute. You can always go to westernartweek.com and get all the information on what shows are happening, what activities are happening. That's your go-to source. It is. It's updated pretty much every week as I get emails coming in from other show organizers letting me know their plans. So I still need to add Kira's on there because she just emailed me this weekend. So excited to have her on the list as well. But we're going to have a mobile exclusive pass um, for the August event where there's longer or more uh, events that are happening. So everyone, we have all the details covered. Okay. You'll know when the show's open, when they close and how you can enjoy yourself. Great. I think describing Western Art Week is probably the hardest thing you can do because there are so many components, so many features, so many things that happen. Mm -hmm. And we've often talked, what are the things people should prepare to experience that isn't just the auction or the show? Wow. Well, there's so many events, and what I, I tried to do everything the first few years. I just thought I can't miss a thing, and I'd get so tired when the week would be over that I'd just go to bed. <laughs> and so I've learned the hard way to be very selective and really concentrate and get to know the artists. That is part of the most fun thing you can do. Pick out a few artists that you want to get acquainted with and maybe buy a piece of their art Mm -hmm. and then you have this personal relationship with them and there's a wonderful show over across the river that I did that with and I have several pieces of that art there but I I think just getting acquainted making it a personal experience for you is really important and so some of these shows are so varied I mean there's clothes and there's jewelry um, Chuck Fulcher has a particularly good show over at the fairgrounds and has a variety of, of people. It's just not painting or art. It's other components of art. Mm-hmm. And so you'll love the jewelry. If you're a jewelry person, you'll just love that. And I have a dear friend from Joliet who does cool water jewelry, and she always brings hers. And I always, my, I have a friend who's, da- who's da- this, da- this is her daughter, so she always tells me to go there and pick out a piece for Christmas. So that works out real well. Yeah. <laughs> and there's furniture people. There's, be prepared for a lot of variety of stuff. I've heard about journals, and I'm really yeah. excited to see <laughs> the journals. And another person that made art with gunpowder by yeah. lighting that on fire. Really? And yeah. then another woman paints with red wine. Oh, my gosh. I hadn't so, heard about that one. So, and boy, what kind of piece of art do you have in your office, Rebecca, that you think it, it's not the way it was done? That, that's a lie. It is. I'm not... Diana Rosen, who has exhibited at the Western Heritage Artists Footprints on the Trail at the Holiday Inn, she's from Stanford area, and she makes art with soil or dirt. Oh so gosh. it's it almost looks like a watercolor, but it is different colors of soil oh. that creates a picture, and uh-huh. it is the coolest thing, and I'm not, I don't lie, it, uh-huh. <laughs> sometimes I do, and Maudie does correct in the show notes, but um, <laughs> this time it's not a lie, it is soil art, and it oh. is so, yeah, it's so wonderful. cool. Yeah. How creative they are. Yeah. I mean, not only are you drawing a picture that looks cool, but the way you do it's even something right. I can't even fathom. Exactly, <laughs> and then a lot of, we have a lot of clay people, and a lot of wood people, and the wood that they do, there's really good artists that do bowls, 
and mm-hmm. and pans out of wood and they're I have friends that do that and they're beautiful pieces of work. Oh, I can't wait because Don Hansen and Jeff. Yeah. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. What's his the Walker? Jeff Walker are yeah. gonna have a show this year. Yeah. I'm excited to see what kind of pottery comes out of that. Yeah. It'll be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Western Art Week usually always in March. Mm-hmm. We're having the special edition in 2021 because COVID hosed us in 2020. So we're making sure we do all the art right in 2021. What has been your favorite experience in Western Art Week? You can only pick one. Oh, oh. my gosh. <laughs> that is something. Well, I guess, uh, let me think just one. Um, well, I'll just pick one. I got acquainted with all the honorary chairmen over the years, both famous and, and just good loving supporters of of the art. And my favorite person was Bill Sherman, who was from Portland, Oregon. And he gave me my model for life. And he gave me two words. And I was, I still am touched when I think about it because he's no longer with us. But he's, because he gave me lots of ideas of how to keep this thing going and sustain it. And he said, no, he said, I'll give you two words. And if you do these two words, you'll go far in life. And I said, oh, good. What are they? (laughs) Do you have any idea? No. Do you have any idea? No. And he said, when you... When Don't you, quit. He said, no. <laughs> but he said, when you hear these, you will understand how unique they are because you'll remember how few people use them or apply their lives to them. And I oh my gosh, they must be something really wonderful. But they are wonderful. And they are follow through. Follow uh, through? Because he said, you know, for example, a lot of us when we are with friends and they'll say, well, let's have lunch sometime. Yeah. And I, my response, because of Bill, has been... Sometime isn't the day of the week. Yeah, mm-hmm. Let's get out our calendars right now, look at our calendar, and find out when we're available and book it. And I like that, that. Yeah, and just that's a little tip that anybody can apply to their lives. And if you do that, you will find how more meaningful and how rich your life can be. So you've really taken it to heart because in addition to Western Art Week, you've also, I'm <laughs> going to say started, and I'm, that may be a lie, but started Waking the Dead. Yeah. You started and it continues Paris Gibson month and all the activities connected to our founder, Paris Gibson. Tell us about those two and anything else that I don't know you started. Well, one that I love, I'll, I'll talk about those in a minute, but another one that I love, and it's the 32nd year, is the Montana History Teacher of the Year. Oh. And it's coming up and we honor that teacher. Uh, it's a statewide contest and we honor the person at a big ceremony in the Capitol on Statehood Day, which is November 8th. Which okay. This year it's on Monday and it's at the Capitol. And we have sponsors that give cash money to that teacher, which oh. allows her to, to take the kids on field trips and bring in speakers and buy materials for the classroom. And in even-numbered years, um, it's the 7th, 8th, 7th to 12th grade teacher that teaches Montana history. And in odd-numbered years, like this year, it's the 4th to 6th grade teacher. And we have a wonderful time. And we, and the kids and the teacher go to Helena for the uh, ringing the bell on Statehood Day. We have a bell that they get to ring, and it's a big deal. And they get to tour the Capitol, and that's very heartwarming. And so I just love that. That's 32 good. years yeah, of that, 32 huh? 32 years. Anyway, on Waking the Dead, that's coming up again, and that's a tour of our our cemetery here in town 
And I have a bunch of the tour books in my office. Yeah. They came and from Norma. Like, well, <laughs> so Norma, I take over this office with one day replacement between the gentleman that had this position uh-huh. before me. So I'm looking through and I didn't get a chance to ask them, but I'm like, there's a lot of them here. I know these are important. Do not throw away. So I know, I know about them. And then we referenced them when we were doing a walking tour podcast episode about it. Mm-hmm. So it's going to happen again this year? Yes, it is. It's always the last Sunday of June. Okay, always last Sunday of June. And so, and it's that because it's the closest Sunday to um, Paris Gibson's birthday, which okay. is July 1st. Okay. And we were inspired to get involved with the Paris Gibson idea because if I woke up after doing all this stuff with Charlie Russell, I, I just thought, my gosh, if it wouldn't have been for Paris Gibson, who was a founder of Great Falls, there would have been no Charlie Russell. We had to have a person found the town that Charlie is coming to live in. Mm-hmm. And so that led us to know about Charlie Russell and to Paris Gibson. And what's really been exciting to me is that I've gotten acquainted with his great-great-grandson. Oh. And he's alive and lives in in, Columbia, let's see, in Big Fork, Montana. And he has sent me such treasures. You can't imagine. And one of the treasures I just recently got is a thumb drive with all these photographs of scrapbooks from the Gibson family and Paris Gibson's own biography that he wrote about his life. And it's just a treasure. But the most memorable thing I've done with Bill Dakin is he's very interested in his family history. And Paris Gibson had four children, he and his wife Valeria. And two men lived to to be uh, full-grown adults, but they had two babies. One was Paris Jr. and one was Helen. And one died at one and the other one died at two. And they were originally buried back in Minnesota when the family lived there. Then their bodies were shipped out here to be with a family plot in the old section of the cemetery. But city founders felt that Paris and Valeria should have a more impressive location at, at Highland Cemetery. So they moved their graves to the entrance of the cemetery and the great big boulder and it's his founder of Great Falls and big deal. Well, Bill Dakin felt really bad that he left they left behind the babies. So he called me one day and said, Do you think you could arrange for those babies to be moved with their parents? And I thought, boy, I've been asked to do a lot of things in my life, but this is something different. So I went to the caretaker of the cemetery, and I said, can we dig up their remains and bring them over to where their parents are? And Bob Stewart said, I don't see why not. So he did. And in the meantime, Bill Dakin and his sister brought down their mother's toy box, which was a beautiful engraved box, and they lined it with red velvet. Oh. And they put the the remains in that bag, and in and the and the bones were there together, and so they were buried. And they each had a little stone right there. So if you go to out to Highland Cemetery, you will see those bodies there with the parents. Oh. It's very touching. And we had a ceremony, and we had the daughter of the history museum director lay. She was five, and she laid flowers on their graves. Oh. and it was very sad. Tender. And those little child children died before 1900. And mm. so this is, this is, that's probably one of the yeah. most memorable experiences I had. And Waking the Dead is just one day. Yes, one afternoon. 
And we have three vehicles, we, which Hoven Equipment provides, trucks and trailers and, and bales of hay, and people, it's like a hayride, and people get on and ride through, and we have narrators on each one, and we talk, and then we drive you up to a grave, and this is a good afternoon, I'm Paris Gibson, good afternoon, uh-huh. I'm Charlie Russell. We have famous people, but we have others that that are you've never heard of, but they've made their mark in Great Falls. Yeah, and, and they kind of show an insight of what it was. Yeah, they do. And when Norma says narrator, what she means is almost a reenactor. Yeah. So they're yeah. not just they're, standing they're there in their yeah. jeans yeah. <laughs> telling yeah. you something. They no. take on the person's personality, yeah. They, yeah. dress. They, they channel the person. Bill Bronson has portrayed Charlie Russell every year, and he's just great. He looks like him even, you know, he really does. And we have a wonderful gal do Nancy Russell, Mary Jane Bradbury from Helen, and she loves doing that. She's a great interpreter, yeah. Awesome. So you'll have to come. Yeah, I'll be there. It's a lot of fun, yeah. You pick different people. Mm -hmm. Every year. Every year, Mm -hmm. usually some unique story. Mm -hmm. Last last year, two years ago, was the baseball glove. Right, Billy Colgan from Idaho, who studies baseball people that, that are from Montana. This guy was a professional baseball player. And then when he retired, he came and worked in the railroad, and he got caught between two trains and got crushed and died. And this guy tracked down his history, and his grave was not marked, and he was able to work out the placement of a grave for him, and on top of the gravestone was a baseball. Oh, wow. Uh, and he came dressed as a, as a baseball player and told his story. So that was precious. Yeah. Norma, you may not know, but one of the number one rated podcasts in the world really is called My Favorite Murder. And it's uh, interesting stories of people's history that is shared in a humorous context, not of the people themselves, mm-hmm. but just the people who give. So if you want to start a spinoff podcast sharing the story of each one of the Waking the Dead people, I think you'd have a, another long career as a podcast You can host. use the studio. When we're not using yep. it, just mark your time. Do a little wow. sign-up sheet on the door. Norma can block off three hours wow. here and there. Wow. You'll be going on stadium tours before you know oh, it. No. Well, I think I could do one on my favorite interviews. <laughs> well, we wait. If we... We need to know about one of the most notable segments ever, where the rattlesnake. Tell me about the rattlesnake, because yeah. I read the what Rebecca sent me. I was like, that's yeah, what? That, that's the most one that my audiences over the years has been most fascinated with, because I'm terrified of snakes. But I get a call one day from this this man down in Rainsford, Montana. And he said, you know, I'm a rattlesnake handler, and I'd really like to bring a rattlesnake on your show. And I, I didn't question it too much. I thought, well, that would be interesting viewing. It's a live show, right? Yeah, it's a live show. And <laughs> I so, just said no. <laughs> so he brings this live rattlesnake on the show, and his wife was with him. And so here he comes, and he's there, and here's this snake. And first of all, he lays it down on the floor on a on a buffalo skull so it really shows up good and he has a ball at the end of a long stick to kind of tease it so it's striking and then he picks it up behind its head and brings it right up to the microphone where my poor camera girl Susie Rothenbuehler was looking right down its throat and he puts a pencil underneath its fangs so really show those fangs 
and then he puts it down on the floor again, puts his foot on its head, takes out a knife, and he slaughters it right on the show, and 13 baby rattlesnakes spill out onto the floor. And, I mean, I, I'm supposed to talk, and I couldn't even open my mouth. I was so shocked. And fortunately, there was somebody in the studio that grabbed a shovel and came flying up there and scooped them up and flew them out the back door and buried them because they are poisonous too. And then, of course, he skins the snake, hands the skin to Susie for a hat band, and he cuts off the, the rattles and puts them in my hand, and they're still all moving. And the show was over. <laughs> and his wife just screamed at him and said, I'll divorce you if you ever do anything like that again. And then the phone started to ring off the hook. And the calls were two types. We're going to report you to the Association for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Okay. And that was the best show you ever did. Why don't you dress out a deer sometime? <laughs> Cyril Kalarchik was his name. And it turns out that he's related to everybody in Rainsford and everybody in the area. And they just had a howl over that. They said, we're not surprised. He's the character of the family. And I think he's related to every Kalarchik in that part of the state. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I would, like you, just dumbfounded. Like, why is this Why is this happening? Right. You don't really recover from that gracefully. No. At least I wouldn't. Not in no, my fear I, of snakes no, or was, not wanting to That's where to that one, them. that first tip, don't cuss, really comes yeah. into play. Because <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd have been able to hold back no. on that one. I don't know. Well, and the only, I had a number of snake stories that were really something. Another one of I call her the snake lady of Man of Montana. She was from Manhattan. And she said, you know, I'm the snake lady of Montana. I said, you are? She said, yes. And she said, I have three snakes that I live with in my trailer. And I said, really? <laughs> she said, yes. I'd love to show them off on your show. So she came on with, and this was tape, this one was. And she brought these three gunnies. <laughs> was it after the, the original rattlesnake one <laughs> no, where you're like, was, yeah, let's not do snake live anymore? <laughs> no. Anyway, they were in gunny sacks. So she took the first gunny sack, and, and it was a python. And she, she no, I guess it was a boa constrictor. And she takes that out and shows it and displays it and talks about it and stuffs it back into the sack. And another one was a bull snake, and she takes that out and shows it off and tells about all of its characteristics. And the third one was a python, and it was 13 feet long. And she just kept bringing it out, bringing it out, and bringing it out of the sack. And, and, you know, it was just huge. And she was really a small lady. And I was sitting on a couch, and she was sitting on a chair. And she said, now I'm going to put it back in the sack. And she took her eyes off the snake for just a second. And in that second, I was sitting on a couch. I looked over at the monitor in the studio, and here comes this giant snake up over the couch right at me. And I, you know, women are very funny when they get scared. And I grabbed my legs and was just sitting there like this. <laughs> and they caught that on the tape in the, stu in, the, in the control room. And they played that back. And finally, she got it and put it in the sack. But in the meantime, they started playing that on the air. Like, don't miss today in Montana. You'll never <laughs> guess what you might see. And it terrified the audience. They called the station, please take that off. That's too scary. Oh, my God. You don't so, want to know what, why Norma's crying on the couch in a fetal I, position, rocking I back know. and forth. That's right. So that's one of the many stories that are funny.
Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, you guys, this has been fun to talk to you and to share. I've know. absolutely loved it. And <laughs> as we get ready to wrap up, we have talked that Norma is the founder of Western Art Week, if you will. And not only has she was she for, there for the first Russell auction, you continue to have milestones with Western <laughs> Art Week. Because didn't something monumental happen at the beginning of Western Art Week about three years ago? Well, let's see. what Something my... happened in your living room right before Western Art Week kicked off in 2019, maybe? Did you get a, married? It was 11 oh, people. Yeah. Well, yeah, I sure did. That kicked Just, off Western Art yeah, Week for you. Yeah, it did. And nobody had a clue this was happening. It was in 2018, just okay. before Western Art Week. And so we had been married like two days when Western Art Week started. Yeah. And the reason it burns into my mind is because if you're in Great Falls, everybody knows who Norma Ashby Smith is. In 2018, I show up at the Russell or the Western Art Week events. We're doing some content for Facebook and everyone just is a buzz. Did you hear about Norma Ashby? And I'm like, what? No, I didn't. She got married to Dwight Smith. And I'm like, she did? (laughs) So it was, I think it was the headline of 2018 Western Art Week from the people I was talking to. Well, that's sweet. Yeah, well, that was very, very exciting. We, We had been best friends for 35 years. We had worked on all the celebrations in Great Falls, the City Centennial, and you name them. And he had been married to Stormy for 50 years, and I'd been married to Shirley for 42 years. So that's a combined 92 years of marriage. Well, we lost both our spouses. And suddenly, when, um, when we were both available, our friendship turned to romance, turned to marriage. And he proposed on a Thursday, and we got married on Sunday, four days later. And then Western Art Week started. And here we came as Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. Although I, he insisted I keep Ashby because he said, if you run around as Norma Smith, they're going to think you're witness in protection. <laughs> so, But what happened just a couple of weeks ago, the church we attend had a contest about marriage. And they said, who in this audience had the shortest engagement? And we yelled out, we probably did four days. And we won the prize. <laughs> Perfect. Man. <laughs> and then because there was only 11 people in our living room. So we decided we better open it up to more than 11. So we had a celebration in the sculpture garden of the Russell Museum in June. But to this, and we had 300 there, but to this <laughs> day, we do celebrate our anniversary every 11th of each month. So we've just finished 35 months. I love it. So next, next month, it'll be three years. So, so Norma and Dwight really get to claim being marriage experts, I'm going to say. Yes. Yeah. And so my, my whole motto is never say never because we never dreamed, you know, that we'd remarry. So it's never too late. And just keep your, your eyes on the Lord and he might have a real nice surprise for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just follow through, which is what we've learned today I with Norma. <laughs> Man, we could have a whole podcast on that. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much yes. for hanging out with us today and you sharing can. your stories. If you've loved this episode, you have many more episodes to visit wherever you get your podcasts. Look for We're No Damn Experts. Subscribe for the podcast. Rate. If you think we are five stars, that's what we think we are. <laughs> Put them down. If, if, we're, not, if we're less than five stars, you better email me. Podcast at right. Visit Great Falls, Montana or visit greatfalls.org. 
And we can talk about we're not five stars, maybe get you on. <laughs> so maybe bump that up to five. Yeah, yeah, I'm bribing you. But hey, that's how the world works. So until we see you again, enjoy and keep creating. And until we see you listeners in Great Falls, enjoy everything you're doing and we'll see you soon. Thank you both. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are no damn experts as the recorded claims from Great Falls, Montana, covering what you need to know about this amazing damn town. Damn, that felt good. On the next episode of We're No Damn Experts, Rebecca and Maddie share with you all the fun you can have this spring and summer at Sluice Boxes State Park. We're No Damn Experts was produced by Great Falls Montana Tourism with original music from the best damn musician, Joel Corda.